Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC Bearcat basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. The Bearcat Basketball Podcast is presented by the Healthcare Management Group. Shout out to everyone at HCMG and thank you for the support. I want to give a huge shout out to Rich and Kelly here at Mio's, the owners of Mio's in Clifton, for having the Bearcat Podcast live here. Can we give a round of applause to Rich and Kelly? Let me say this real quick. Rich and Kelly are some of the biggest Bearcat supporters of UC Athletics here in town. Uh, great people that love this community. And I'm going to tell you what. They do so much between feeding the O-linemen, uh, the fundraiser for Josh Wiley they did, um, having the podcast here live, all the things they do. We need to support them, continue to support them, and make Mio's the epicenter of UC athletics and your game day experience coming in here before games and after games and getting pizza, having a good time, drinking a couple cold, sprites and all that good stuff uh quickly a quick shout out to my support staff Stu holt and colin cruzy uh the producers without these guys this would not be possible now what's to come um before every bearcat basketball home game we will do a live podcast here at mio starting two hours before the game and it goes for one hour we'll have different special guests uh, former players, and we'll announce those former players a couple days before each game. We'll have different media personalities, and I'd like to engage the Bearcat fans, get a couple Bearcat fans engaged on the podcast. So some really exciting stuff coming up soon. So it's time to bring in my special guest and talk some Bearcat hoops. Now this segment is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. They have a new flexible bachelor's degree that will allow you to graduate conveniently and affordably and you won't lose any credit or have to start over. Now I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat great who played from 1992 to 1996 under Bob Huggins. He is a Lakota legend and a Bearcat great. Your wife laughed when I said Lakota legend. I'd like to welcome in the Iron Horse. Round of applause for Keith Greger. Thank you very much, Alex. I think my wife was actually laughing at the part where you said great. <laughs> now, now, Keith, for everybody that's in here, can you tell them what records you hold at UC for basketball? So, historically, I've played every game since I arrived there, which was 131 games. Wow. That was a record for most games and most consecutive games. I believe the most games mark was broken by five or six guys during the Mick Cronin era gotcha. because, of course, they played more games. They never played as many postseason games as we did. Right, right. So they technically got that one. But the uh, most consecutive games was broken by one and only uh, Sean Kilpatrick. Gotcha. So um, currently, I believe I'm the all-time postseason victories. Most postseason in Bearcat history. In Bearcat history. Yeah. Wow. So if you remember back in the 60s when they won national championships, there were no 
postseason conference tournaments. Okay. And I believe the first national championship was only a 16-team tournament. It was That's only four crazy. wins. That's crazy. That's crazy how how much things have changed over over time, and and how much how much uh, crazy how much big money has taken over athletics, and they have to have more games. It's more TV yeah. exposure. And it's big business. I think we talked about this last week when we were sitting around. We were talking about how I think every game, or most games my freshman year, were televised on Channel 19. Yep. By uh, Tom Brenneman and Derek Dickey. Yep. Yep. We've got the oldest son of Troy. He's right. I do that because I have a good friend who runs one of the, the top Ohio State podcasts, and I always told him if I had a podcast, I would say the Bearcat. So that's kind of a, a shot on top of it a little bit. Oh, he was, he did UC. Uh, gosh, yeah. What's up, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be off the table. It's coming in a minute. Broadcasting. I can't remember his name. That, that was some key. You had a successful, you had a successful high school basketball career. Very successful at UC. You've been successful asking basketball. And when I asked Bob Huggins to describe Keith Rayer, you know what he said? Keith is a winner. What do you attribute to your success between when you won know, the state championship in high school, you were in the league, the state tournament, all the success at BC, just, just everything you've done, what do you attribute your, your success to? went to Lakota, but now there's Lakota East and West. Who do you associate? I've never asked you this. Who do you associate with? Who do you cheer for? Do you split it 50-50? Or? Well, you know, so I've had, uh, I've gone back and forth over the years because what's great is um, I've a lot of friends that stayed out in that area. Mm -hmm. And so they would either have kids that played at East or West. So depending on what sports they were in, I could actually be selective about which ones I choose. But the, the greatest thing about having your high school split in half is there's only one athletic hall of fame out there, and I'm in both. Oh, wow. Because I went to Lakota. Yeah. Each so, school has so you, a Keith Gregor picture in it oh, on the awesome. hall of fame. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, no, that's pretty cool. Okay, so you being a hometown kid, going to Lakota, playing for the hometown Bearcats, and keep in mind, I was a hometown guy, too, going to Roger Bacon, playing for UC. But for you, it was different because, you know, you, you were on a totally different level as far as, you know, athletically what you did. But what was it like being a hometown hero? And I want to segue that into what Jeremiah Davenport is going through right now, being a hometown kid. Yeah. So naturally, you're going to have a lot more fans that recognize you from the, the second you walk in the door. 
Right. And, and, and I always love seeing these guys come, what, you know, Kevin Johnson and Yancey Gates. I mean, over the years, we've had quite a few. A lot of them. Um, but, you know, it, with that, you know, it, it does put a, lot, a little more pressure on your shoulders because you know everybody is, is watching and, and, you know, uh, reading the papers about, you know, all that. And so the great thing is, you know, having that kind of support out there, but also you, Cincinnati's a great place because it's big enough that you can get involved in all that. But it's also cozy enough where you can shut the doors and just, you know, focus in on what's going on in practice. Right. And, and you got to be able to, you know, it's nice to enjoy it, but you got to keep it at arm's length. Right. And, and, and like you were saying, too, there, there is a lot of pressure being a hometown kid, you know, performing well. But you also have a great support system here. So if, you know, things don't go so well, you have people you can drive and go see that are, that are right here in town, whereas some of these, you know, basketball players on the team are from, you know, North Carolina, Texas, and all over, and their support system's pretty far away. Absolutely. I, my, my parents lived in Westchester throughout my days of UC, so I never did my own laundry. Yeah. I always ate better than everybody else because I was bringing home good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, those guys, they knew where it was at when they wanted something good. No, no, no question about that. Now, this segment is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. Now, I want to dive, Keith, into this year's Bearcat basketball team. And there, there's, so much, there's so much surrounding this team right now because there's so much unknown. Right? You've got a new coach. And, you know, let's be honest, Wes Miller is coming from UNC Greensboro. Not a lot of people... You know, know about him, know his style, and he comes here, and people are starting to do all this research on him. He's had to go out and get in the portal, recruit kids. You know, we do have a core group of kids that are still here, but pretty much had to put together a, a whole new squad. You recently went down to practice. I want to get your thoughts on practice and what you've seen from this group thus far. Yeah. So I'll start start with Wes. I, I was really impressed with Wes. I think. The first month of practice is always so much different than when you're actually in season playing games um, because Wes has uh, a lot of patience and he's, he's got to do a lot of teaching right now. So it's one yeah. thing when you bring in three or four freshmen and you, you have to teach them your philosophy and the culture and the style. Right now, you really can't assume anything with any of these guys. Uh, the guys he pulled from uh, UNC Greensboro, they understand what he's trying to do and so I think he's leaning on those guys really heavily. But the one thing in putting together this team that he did was with the transfer portal, he's got a lot of veterans. You know, you got Abdul Adu, who's, you know, one of the 10th oldest player in the, in the college right now. Right. Um, and then, you know, bringing um, Kosol, Kosak from UNC kid. Greensboro as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, maturity on the team, I think. Um, so, you know, he impressed me with his ability to explain, and it, it's different than it was 30 years ago when you could just yell at guys, put them on a the line, tell them to run. Yeah. This is why you do this. It's because you don't have to run. Right. Today you have to explain to guys and make them understand. And uh, that's the one thing I think Wes is really good at is messaging to the players on why we do things. Uh, because, again, he's trying to get that culture right and then build upon that. Once the foundation is down, I think, during season, you see a little bit of transition. Now, have you had a chance to sit down and talk with uh, Coach Miller? I have, actually. Okay, how'd that go? I mean, Wes is very easy to like. He's very easy yeah. to talk to. I think very that Southern draw is going to do him very well <laughs> in recruiting. Um, 
but uh, but West definitely has a plan. And you know, he, he's young enough that you kind of wonder. But remember, he's done this for a long time down at UNC Greensboro and was very successful. I think after watching um, some of the guys practice and play early on, um, you know, I kind of asked him like, well, which which ones exactly were brought over from UNC Charlotte or for UNC Greensboro? And, and the ones that he named, I was really impressed that those guys were going to play at UNC Greensboro. Right. And it makes me very excited that he's going to be able to recruit at the level we need to be able to, to be competitive, not in the ACC, but in the Big 12 very soon. Yeah. Now, now you're a season ticket holder to football and basketball? Absolutely. Now, okay, so let, let, let's talk about that a little bit because I'm a season ticket holder, basketball and football. My, my father and I split those, and you're a season ticket holder. Why is it important for you, a former player, because, you know, Sometimes people like to just sit at home and watch it. Why is it important for you to be a season ticket holder and go watch games live? Yeah. So, you know, for basketball, there's so many games. I don't always make it to all of them with okay. travel and work and other such. Football is one that I just I hate missing football games. I love football games. Yeah. And I think it started back when I was playing. And then when I graduated, you know, the football players, they were the same ones that we worked out with down in the weight room. And those guys were around for several years, just as the guys that you know were on the basketball team were. Right. So there was kind of a personal connection to them, and you know, just kind of seeing the, the the history of UC football and basketball kind of parallel itself through the '90s. Um, it, it was just something that I always felt part of that as well. Sure, and and I, and I do towards the end of the podcast, I do kind of want to jump in and talk a little bit about the football program and you know, where we are now, game day and all that good stuff. So I, I do want to talk about starting lineups because I, I know, uh, Keith, you're not huge on social media, right? My wife does enough for both of us. Your, your, your wife, Sherry, she takes care of all the social media for the family. So with that being said, on Twitter, there were quite a few people talking about starting lineup. For this Tuesday and this basketball team, a lot of people were anxious to hear and see what the starting lineup is going to be. So you were at practice. I've been at practice. I have my idea of the starting lineup. What's your idea of the starting lineup for tonight's game versus Evansville? So I, th I think there'll be a lot of recognizable faces in that starting lineup. If, okay. If you look at what we've had, uh, you've obviously got Adam Woods and uh, DeJulius returning as your guards. Yep. Uh, one of the big things I think West did was go back out and secure Saunders, you know, and I think having that third guard, he'll probably be strong, maybe coming off the bench. Um, obviously Davenport and the other kid that impressed me was the John Newman. Yep. Um, yep. And, and again, you get to a guy who's transferring from Clemson. He's older. He's got a lot of leadership. I think he'll, he'll do very well. Um, and uh, along that same thought, Abdul, I do. I mean, the guy, you know, has put numbers up in the SEC, uh, both rebounding. And so I think that kind of maturity uh, across the board with those guys is going to be what I kind of think we'll see more of. I know, that's good stuff. So my, my starting lineup is Mike Adams-Wood, uh, David DeJulius, Mason Madsen, Jeremiah Davenport, and Abdul, like you were saying, and the reason I have that as my starting lineup is you got four guys who played last year, logged a lot of minutes. They know what it's like with the lights on, you know, in the Fifth Third Arena. 
when you throw out Abdul, who's got some experience, some big game experience. So, you know, I think, you know, if you're Coach Miller, you're looking at this like, you know, this first game, we want to start off on the right foot. And you don't want to put guys that are kind of with the deer in the headlight look that first game. You want to kind of work them in. You know, the, the starting lineup, the next four games, will probably change. They'll, he'll, he'll move in different guys. You know, different guys earn it in practice. But I think he's going to, personally, I think he'll put some of the more experienced guys out first. Well, and I think Madsen's going to have a big impact on this season. Um, if you look at, I think, what Wes has talked about installing and what he did at UNC Greensboro was a team that would shoot a lot of threes, a team yeah. that would get up and down, yeah. which that fits into Madsen's wheelhouse very well. Very and well. If we can get him shots, I think we're going to be uh, very successful this season. No question. And one of the things I'm going to touch upon what you just said, one of the things that Coach Miller talked about with his team and style of play is he wants to play with pace. He wants his teams to play fast. So that means they're probably going to shoot a lot of threes. He wants them to rebound. But the one thing that I loved that Coach Wes Miller said about his basketball teams, he wants his basketball teams to play with an edge. He wants the team, so like they're playing Evansville tonight, he wants Evansville tomorrow morning to feel it, to feel they just played the Bearcats. And that's Bearcat basketball if you really think about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about culture. And that's it. You know, if, if there's one thing you could tell through practice is Wes is coaching a entire culture. Um, you know, the one thing that impressed me in practice when someone went down for a charge, there was four guys, his teammates right there to pick him up. Absolutely. But even beyond that, there was five managers behind those guys ready to wipe up the floor. <laughs> I mean, something. there is every small detail, every detail. That, you, that he's thinking about. You know, and when you build the foundation and you, you only get one chance to do it right. So he's, he's setting the tone early. And those, and those details are so important, and it's the difference between winning and losing. If you, if you go and watch football, basketball, it's inches, seconds, all those little things where one thing could have gone one way. If you'd have paid attention to this detail, you could have won the game. Yep. If you did that small detail, you win the game. And, and that's the thing that'll, that's where his job transitions over the course of the year. You have one month before games start. You got to get all that stuff right, right. so that in midseason, you don't have to go back and teach that when you need to be teaching about Houston's offense and, and putting in that stuff. Yep. So, and I want to, I want to, I'm going to come back to some of the individual players and I want to talk about those. Let's, let's talk about the schedule a little bit. So, Tonight the Bearcats are taking on Evansville, and we were talking a little bit before we went we went on and started the podcast. Evansville can really shoot the ball, right? And so the Bearcats are going to have to, you know, really close out. It's going to be a great test to see how they do against against shooters. But but here's the thing about the schedule: we play Evansville tonight, turn around and play Georgia on Saturday. I'm not sure how good Georgia is, but they're Georgia. They're going to have Georgia on their chest. Yeah. Then they have Alabama A&M, Presbyterian, and then they go off to the Hall of Fame Classic. So looking at those first four games, Evansville, Georgia, Alabama A&M, and Presbyterian, when you look at those names outside of Georgia, they're not names that stick out as really tough competition, but how important are those games for the growth of this basketball team in West Miller? I think it has a lot less to do with those teams than it does the Bearcats, mm -hmm. right? So we got to get our stuff right 
And, you know, it'll be interesting to see when, at what point does the offense click? Yeah. When does Wes step back from half court and, <laughs> and start talking to his assistant coaches because he knows and can trust that Adams Woods will have guys in the right spot, you know, or, or, the, or the guys are going to, you know, do what they need to do. When I look at that schedule, I wish that was our football schedule right now. Yeah. Give me Georgia right now. I'll take it. Uh, so let's let's jump back real quick to some of these players um, on the team. So in, in preparation for the show here today, you know, I was looking at the roster, and the more and more I looked at the roster, Keith, I said, this is actually, odd, as odd as it might be, this is an experienced team. And it's, it's kind of a, a, a weird type of experience, meaning that, you know, you've got your returning guys and Mason Matson, Mike Adams-Woods, Jeremiah Davenport, uh, Mikey Saunders, uh, Rob Banks, who's hurt right now, but he's coming back. You've got those guys coming back. They aren't necessarily, outside of David DeJulius, who's the, you know, oldest guy on the team, you know, as far as the returning guys, but the guys coming back are young, but they logged some minutes last year. Then you mix that with the Mississippi State transfer, a Clemson transfer, a Wake transfer, guys that played minutes for solid programs. When you start mixing that in, you've got an experienced ball club in, in an odd way. You're right, and that's that's what Wes's job is, is difficult is meshing all those together. Exactly. You know, there was there was a coach down in uh, Lexington that used to talk about his players coming in that you know he, his job was getting them to play together. <laughs> I ain't gonna say his name. Yeah, we know who you're talking about. But that really is what it is, and um, you know, it's not only that, but each one of these guys comes from places where they played, right? Right. And, and everybody wants that playing time. And Wes was talking about it uh, at practice on Friday. You know, if somebody goes down, there's another 20 minutes up for grabs. And you guys exactly are competing for that. So um, everybody wants it. They've got the experience. And, you know, meshing it together, it, it could be a really surprisingly good year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So I, I think this basketball team is going to be competitive all year. And, and so from my, my standpoint, as a Bearcat fan, as a former player, what I would like to see from this basketball team is for them, night in and night out, whether we win every single game or not, is to be absolutely competitive. And you leave the Fifth Third Arena or you turn off your TV and you said, you know what, we really competed. We fix up a couple things here and there. This team's going to go to that next level. And this program, so just like you go back to when Bob Huggins took over the program, that first game versus Minnesota where Steve Sanders hits the shot, you know, all the games after that, all the fans are going, this is the brand of basketball that we need. And that's what I would like to see from this basketball team. And that's the rebuild that you talk about with a new coach. They like to come in and they don't really care about winning and they you know, feel like they got three or four years before they you know, right. need to win. That's not the case. When you've got as much veteran leadership and age and you know, maturity on this team, like with Bob Huggins, he brought in a bunch of junior college guys, and it was win immediately. Yep. And what that does is it allows you to go out and show guys immediately what you're all about. And I think Wes has already been successful on the recruiting trail, yes. getting some big-time recruits. Landed a four-star. And that'll continue. Landed a four-star, offered another four-star, and a five-star. Now, let me ask you this. So let's segue that to the Big 12. Bearcats going into Big 12. 
I guess when they figure out the whole money situation, will determine how soon they go in, because they can buy their way in quicker, correct? Correct. So two years or... I guess the more money, the quicker you can get in. It could be. I mean, it's 2024, I think, okay. but 2023 is a very real possibility when the money kind of works its way out. And I mean, the good thing is we know we're competitive right now. Yeah. For so sure. there's no reason not to. And so when you look at recruiting, when a West Miller walks into a home and he's recruiting a kid and he's saying, I want you to come play and I want you to wear the red and black, I want you to play for the Bearcats. And you're going to be playing night in, night out against Kansas. You know, you start naming all these big 12 teams. That's a different pitch to a kid, especially a kid that's a four-star, a five-star. If we start landing those guys, watch out. Absolutely. And for basketball especially, because you're looking at what is now going to be, I think, the premier basketball conference in the country, you're, you're ESPN every night. I mean, every everybody you know, you're gonna you're gonna get to see. Right. Um, it's the Big 12's got it's 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 an exciting time for UC athletics. So if you were looking at the roster right now, so I've got the roster printed up right here. Okay, here's what I want you to do. All right, it's a close game. Do you have Kyle Washington and DeMar Johnson on that no. roster? <laughs> no, I don't. Because I'd like to revise no. my starting five <laughs> if that's the case. So 30 seconds in the game left. UC is down. You need a bucket, okay? In this case, we're going to go for two. Call a timeout. Who are you running that play for? You know, I think I'm going to start by getting the ball into Julius's hands. Okay. Because I think he makes very, very solid decisions, and he's got that kind of CP3 game where he can get that 15-footer off. Veteran, been there. Yep. But, you know, I obviously I want to have Davenport on the court. Yep. And I'm just going to set up Madsen at about 23 feet in case somebody forgets about him because that, that's the ultimate outlet, man. I'll take, I'll take a three-pointer even if I need to because that dude's money. I so I love what you said. So get the ball to David DeJulie. He's going to make a good decision. Looking for Davenport. And if they sag, double on him, boom, you got Matson open for three. I agree with that. And I'm going to use that to segue into leadership and how important leadership is. So you know how it is when you play. And when you play for hugs, you know, you develop different leadership roles. You have a guy that leads by example, a guy that leads vocally. So when looking at this basketball team for this year, you know, who do you see as the vocal leader for the basketball team, then who do you see as that person that leads by example? Hmm. So, again, I, I, I like the Julius. Um, I like the Julius because he, he already made the transition, right? He came from Michigan to Cincinnati, right. and he had a very successful year last year. And now we're trying to mesh how many new guys? Guy from Clemson, Mississippi, you bringing all these other guys in. Well, he's already done that transition. Right. Um, you know, Davenport being one you know, of the leading scorers and, and one of our go-to guys, he's going to be critical in that too. You know, these are guys that have always come to him though, right? Because he's been a Bearcat since day one. Mm -hmm. um, I do kind of like that, you know, that transfer. The, the decision to make that is very bold. And coming in the way he did last year and kind of setting um, setting himself up in that leadership role, I think the other guys are going to look to him. Like, you know, he, he made a transition. He made it smooth. He was successful at it. 
Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see when that does sort of change because it's going to be up to Wes a lot. Right. Because all these guys, even the guys that have been here, Davenport is now part of a Wes Miller program. Yep. So, you know, it, it's going to be coaching. But by the time we get to Christmas time and the conference schedule, we're going to have to have a, a clearer definition on Absolutely. who's the go-to guy the and who's stepping have up. to be established. By then. I totally, I totally agree with that. And, and with that being said, one of the things that I've seen, uh, Jeremiah Davenport, I, I can't remember. I'm trying to think who's the last guy to really have on both ends of the court that much energy. Like, if he's getting a rebound, if he's getting a defensive stop, if he's making a shot, he's, sell, he's letting you know. And, oh, yeah. and, yep. and that's kind of infectious. Like, everybody's excited about playing, right? He gets everybody pumped up. Now, on the flip side, somebody I want to point out that I think is a sleeper as a vocal leader on this team is Mason Madsen. And I'm going to tell you why. The different practices I've been to, different things that I've been at, Mason Madsen just has this aura about him that people gravitate towards him. And he's very positive, and he says the right things to his teammates. And I think that goes a long way. Like, when, when I played, and I know we'll talk about when you played, but, like, Kenyon Martin was our vocal leader. Sure. And he did it different ways. He would grab you and let you know you're not performing. Yeah. You know, he would high-five you and tell you, great job. But I, I think Mason Matson will lead vocally in a different way. Um, as we got, we have fans coming over here to say hello to you, Keith. Yep. Yes, sir. So, so Keith, when you played, uh, talk about leadership. Like, who was the leader when you played? So, yeah, when I first came in, remember, I came into a veteran team with Nick Van Exel, Eric Martin, Terry Nelson, Jeez. Corey Blunt, A.D. Jackson, and, and Terrence Gibson. So, uh, you know, T-Rat. T-Rat. T-Rat was a coach. That's a good one. That's a good one. T-Rat was, it was always, you know, breaking it down for you yeah. and, and helping you That's out. That's a good one. Um, so he was great. You know, it, the guys like, you know, Eric Martin and Terry Nelson were beating me up, and they're the ones putting me on the ground, and then T-Rat would kind of pick me up. And, yep. and after uh, practice, Nick would tell you what your role really is. So, you know, I came in with a group of a lot of those guys, and then we sort of transitioned into, um, you know, where, where, you know, I became a leader, and I always said, you know, we used to – have a small forward pathway, right? So Eric Martin was there when I came in, and he used to beat me up. Yep. And then, you know, Bobby Brandon came in, and I beat him up. <laughs> and then Ryan Fletcher came in, and me and Bobby beat him up. <laughs> I mean, there was just this constant transition year after year. It, it, which, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, like, Bearcat football is, like, tied in you. And, like, as I think about that, like, you think about Eric to you – to Bob, I mean, there's some great forwards oh, yeah. we've had. Oh yeah, and I didn't really think about all those different transitions. Some great, great players. Now, if you and, go back and look at the studs, even before Eric, you had uh, like Lavertis Robinson. Oh yeah, I mean, we had just studs. One of Chicago's finest. Um, yeah. I actually interviewed uh, Lavertis Robinson for the podcast. Uh, you talk about a tremendous dude doing great stuff in uh, Chicago. True. So, I, I, listen. I want to ask you this. How tough do you think it was last year for not only the Bearcat players, but just think about college basketball players in general. Last year going through the pandemic, 
not having fans, and I think Mason Madsen said something about this recently, he's so excited to play an arena tonight with fans. How difficult do you think it was for those guys last year? I, I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have wanted to do it. I mean, it's it's. I came in right after university went to the Final Four. My freshman year was basically all those same guys that we just mentioned playing in the Elite Eight. I played in a Shoemaker Center that was sold out every game. Yep. My sophomore year transition, we weren't so good. Yeah. We played in front of maybe 10,500 a couple times. Still a lot. Instead of 13,000, but it was noticeable. Yeah. It was a different atmosphere altogether. Gotcha. So playing in front of no one, essentially, but family, that to me, that's just – I mean, we had practices with more people than these guys <laughs> played against in right. games. And so these guys coming in, the sophomores, haven't played in front of anybody yet. Yep. And the freshmen haven't played in this Crazy. environment yet. So, you know, give me – yeah, it is, it is very different what these kids had to go through the past couple years. That's tough. And I think, Keith, one of the things that people – I like to dive into the minds of guys like you and others. They need to understand how tough it is to play at the Division I level, to play a, you know, a sport like basketball or football where it's a grind. It, it, it turns into essentially a job. If you look at all the things you have to, you know, you have to lift weights, you have to go to study table, you have classes, you know, you're, you're trying to graduate, you've got a game. I mean, how tough is it to be a Division One basketball player? Yeah, you know, I, I had kids and I had aspirations. I thought they would kind of do the same thing I did. And I'm kind of glad they didn't yeah. because, like you said, it's, it's a job. It's a business. When I first got out of University of Cincinnati and I went back and watched a basketball game, I didn't see the basketball game. I saw the X's and O's. You know, the, the fans are complaining that somebody made a foul over here, and I'm drawing it back to half court where this guard made a misplay, somebody didn't slide right, and it's three people down the road, which, which, which you actually blame. So, you know, it, it's a totally – different perception of the game and so the more I kind of step away over the years the more more enjoyable the game becomes yeah I told you know what and it's funny so when I played going through the grind of, of playing at the division one level that next year after I finished up and I went to a game I went to practices I was so relaxed I'm like man and I know what those kids were going through I'm like the as, as exciting as it is game day making a run in the NCAA tournament, there is like a little bit of a relief when things oh, yeah. are because you're mental and physical. I, I recall my first practice back, I think I sat down on the sidelines and Hugs came over and sat down with me for about 30 minutes because he didn't want to coach. He just put all the guys on the line and they just ran. Right. And I know those guys hated me for that. So I think I stayed away the next few practices. They're like, Keith, don't ever come back exactly. to practice. Yep. Um, Keith, I have a couple questions for you here. Uh, I've got actually got four that I want to dive into. Question number one. What was your favorite moment wearing a Bearcat uniform? What was your favorite moment wearing a Bearcat uniform? That's a tough one there. So... Boy, 
I, I can't think of any more victories that uh, that we had maybe that were more thrilling than uh, winning at Wyoming. Oh, man. The and, Phil Durden game. And I say that because I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, wearing the uniform. What did it really mean? Well, when we went out to Wyoming and won the game, everybody was throwing pop at us. They were throwing – you name it. They couldn't they couldn't uh, I bet. anything that they could get their hands on in the stands throwing it at us. And so, you know, normally you finish the game, you take your uniform off, and there's sweat, and there's all that. And I took it off that day, and there was, like, mustard on it. I'm like, <laughs> what on earth happened here? Um, yeah. That that Wyoming game was, was bananas with – I mean, we talk about the greatness of, of Lizelle Durden. And for Lizelle to step up in that moment – make those free throws with so much confidence. Yeah. Like, shushing the crowd, and then when he shot that last one to win the game, just absolutely turning around as he shot it. And I think he jumped into, like, I uh, can't remember whose arms he I jumped say in. it was John Jacobs. John Jacobs. It was John yeah. Jacobs' arms. And I, that was an incredible, especially for me being a young kid, like, to see that. Lizelle Durden, I was like, that's that's what I want to be. That's what I want. That moment as a team being there had to be unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a couple uh, days that we practiced in Wyoming prior to the game to get used to the, the thin air. Yeah. And uh, it was um, – we didn't realize how bad we really were, but Hugs was telling us Lizelle's our only chance to win the game. And uh, sure enough, by the time we got in the second half, we were all just running around setting screens for Lizelle. Yeah. And, and – you know, just to get out of there with a win, knowing that we had been so bad. That the, was a good one. The gunslinger. Yes. All right, my question number two. See if you can figure this one out. What has been your favorite moment not wearing a Bearcat uniform? All right. As your wife points at me, let's see. The pressure's on him right now. Oh, wait. Was this going to be a Bearcat moment? No, no. What's, or anything what outside? What has been your favorite moment not wearing a Bearcat uniform? It could be in life, and you have a lot of pressure right here with your wife looking dead at you. So, you. <laughs> so on Thursday night of this week, Sylvester Stallone is re-releasing Rocky IV with new footage. Can I count that? Wow. <laughs> Come on, Keith. Come on, Keith. That's the best you can. I don't know. That's a deep one there. That one's really deep. That's 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 a deep one. Okay. I'll let you slide on that one. Now this one. <laughs> No, that was, I don't know. That was, those are, all right, this, this should be an easier one. Okay, here we go. Before every Bearcat home game when you played, what was your pump-up music? Like, who were you listening to that got you pumped up for the game? So I only got one song in the locker room per game before the game. Okay. Um, Usually it was going to be something from, like, the weight room, right? So the weight room was, uh, at that time, it was a lot of Pearl Jam and stuff like that. Okay, Pearl Jam. But I 
was also this was right after Rocky IV, and so this Uh-oh. is where my passion comes from. Uh oh. So you're talking anything from a Rocky training montage. Oh jeez. Which I had actually come up with a workout tape that Mick Marotti used to use. He oh. stole from me. Mickey Marotti. And used it in pregame for football games and in the weight room. But you know I could take anything. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of stuff in the uh, locker rooms that I didn't even recognize. <laughs> Little pearl, little pearl jam. Okay, we'll go. We'll go with that. Okay, if you were Keith, if you were to play college basketball today, how would your game translate to today's game? First of all, I don't know if these kids could play back in the day when we played, uh-huh. right? But your game from back then right. today. And I say that because I could probably play a point guard today if I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Because you remember back in the day, you weren't allowed to put your hand on the side of the ball. Yep. It was on top of the ball. Right. There was none of this and one dribbling, which is kind of very common today. Right. I see guys, you know, sliding the pivot foot, switching pivot foots, getting the Euro step in. This is nothing that we could do today. Right. So, you know, if you want to look at my game as maybe the role player, you know, I, I think that would transition because – that was the one thing that I could do better than anybody else I played with. You know, when, when, when teams would hit us with a zone or something, you always think you want to put your best shooter in and knock them out of it. But, you know, I, I would go into the game because I was a guy that would swing the ball and, and look inside and, you know, screen the unexpected screen and stuff right. like that. So, you know, from that standpoint, I feel like I could always find a place to chip in. But, man, it's a different game. Yeah. It really is. He likes a glue guy, doing a lot of team stuff. Oh, I can do a lot of defensive stuff right now. Yeah. But, you know, I I still watch the game today, and I'm like, that's a bad shot. (laughs) And it goes in. Right. I mean, all these kids that are taking step-back threes and these off-balance shots, that didn't exist 30 years ago. I mean, it was catch the ball, step into it, be ready to shoot it with your hands. These guys catch the ball today, and then they take two steps before they do it. Yep. That, was, that was never taught, and I don't know when it changed. but Totally totally different game now. Wow. Totally, totally different game. Um, all right. I, want, I do want to transition in and talk a little bit about football. You have season tickets to UC football, and I want to talk about where we are as a football program. Basketball is going to get there. Basketball is headed in the right direction. The job that Luke Fickle is doing has, obviously, it is, it is absolutely phenomenal. In your eyes, what, what is it about Luke Fickle? What is he doing that's getting us between recruiting and, and engaging the fan base? What is it about Luke Fickle? You know, I like to watch the uh, the Luke Fickle show, and when you when you see him on the sidelines during practice, I mean, he's really he's really involved yeah. in drills, and he'll step into drills and show guys how it's going. And I know, especially with football, when you're dealing with the numbers that they're dealing with, a hundred kids, it's usually position coaches. But to see a head coach that's that's still got it, he's still young enough to step in there and kind of show show the guys how he wants it done. Um, that to me. It is very important if I was a player today. Um, but, you know, he, he did a really good job coming in and changing the culture. Yep. But even as I look at it in his fifth year, he's still got – he's still making the moves, right? It becomes a more different – a very different job. And when you look at the recruits that we're bringing in on his side of things, 
he's, he's continued to up his game and continued to improve um, as he goes. A lot, of guys, a lot of guys are just the guy that wants to make the change and get you to that next step. He appears like each step along the way, he's meeting. Um, he's, I mean, the recruiting job that Luke Fickle and his staff are doing is incredible. And I think one of the best things that Coach Fickle and his staff have done is, you know, you look at the Tupperville regime and then transitioning into Fickle. Fickle basically drew a, a circle around a radius of greater Cincinnati in Ohio. Yep. And he says, I'm going to lock in to these best players and I'm going to make sure they don't leave our backyard. And I think he's done a hell of a job of not only locking in and getting those guys, but getting the right guys too. That's very important. Yep. I think that was what I was going to mention. I mean, you, you know the prototype. Uh, like, you know, you, you look at uh, Ritter and then you say, well, who's next man up? And then you look at the, the backup quarterbacks and Evan Praters and all that, and they, they all kind of they fit that same mold. Yep. They're athletic. They can run, but they can run the offense and pass it first. Um, you know, across the board, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of talent that we've yet to uncover. And I, I personally think as great right now as UC's basketball or football team is, I think the best is still yet to come. Like with guys – the momentum they have now, they have guys coming in next year, the year after, that are going to be studs. Evan Prater, yep. the next man up, and I think he's going to be a hell of a quarterback. I, 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 I think this football program is going to be phenomenal. And then going into the Big 12. Yeah. And on the national scene, you, you know, a lot of people look at Cincinnati as just blipping up this year, and that's just not the case. Nope. If you look historically, I mean, positions like a tight end, where you could go to Connor Barwin and you know Brent Selleck and uh, Kelsey yep. and uh, there's a Gaduli in there and a Deguara and uh, you know and then what we've got now with a Wiley it's I mean we've got a lot no question. a lot of history and they're saying that this Bearcat football team could have between eight and nine guys drafted potentially three in the first round which I think will be the most ever in Bearcat history I think the I think they had two draft picks in the first round and one year was the most ever. So, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. And let's talk a little bit about homecoming on Saturday. Uh, what an amazing atmosphere with game day coming in. And, you know, the, here, here's the thing about game day. You know, game day comes in, and obviously a lot of the fans are very upset, pissed off about the playoff rankings, right? And there were some people that said, I saw it on Twitter, boycott game day. Go and I'm thinking totally the opposite. Like, show game day in the country what Bearcat athletics are all about. How great the Bearcat fan base is. And Lord have mercy, did they show up. I mean, I had people from around the country that don't even have anything to do with Bearcat football, don't even care. They were texting me going, what the hell is going on with game day? Where did all these people come from? And I'm like, it is serious here. Yeah, no, there's a there's a very serious football fan base. And when you look at the schools that have these stadiums with 100,000 people, and they're, you know, they're two and a half times the size of ours, they don't fill game day like that. We had a bigger game day. They don't have the bigger passion. Isn't that amazing? And that's when you, when you put the, the teams on the field, you can't just say that this is the favorite because they have a, a stadium with 100,000 people. That has absolutely nothing to do with yeah. playing the game itself. So, yeah, I think the history that's here and the fan base, I mean, 
we're hungry. We've been hungry for a long time, waiting to get into this next conference, waiting to see where we can take this thing. And in the, in the coming years, there's really nothing holding us back. No, no, no question about that. Uh, and I, I do want to talk a, a couple more things about football before we jump back to basketball. Um, what are your thoughts, and this has been talked about quite a bit, every football game that UC has, they're expected to win by 50 points. It's like, if they don't win by 50, people are considering a loss. It's like, we're 9-0, folks. This team's doing very well. A lot of great kids. You playing, you know, you guys have, like, you know, back, that, back in the day when you played, you, you're playing Presbyterian, and you're supposed to win by, win by 30. I think what people don't understand is it's a lot more pressure than you think to have to come out and win by that amount every single night and perform at this high of a level when you're a 19, 20, 21 year old kid that has a lot going on. Yeah. Well, and I don't think there's any difference in football or basketball. When you get to this stage in the season and you're playing your conference opponents, I mean, we're thinking about things on the national level. Everybody else is thinking about how do we win the conference? And when a Cincinnati comes in, that's how you that's how you save your season. That's how you make your mark. And in basketball as well as football, I mean, remember these coaches uh, for Tulsa. They played they played a Luke Fickle team the last five years. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got more scouting. Yep. They know what he's trying to do better than anybody in the country. Yep. So you don't see these big blowouts late in the season. Not right. in basketball. Not in football. Uh, I mean, everybody has a lot of common knowledge of what you're trying to do, how you're going to do it. And the Tulsa game, I mean, those guys just lost the uh, AAC championship to us by a field goal last year. Yep. You telling me that wasn't on their bulletin board all year long? No question. I no mean, question. That was a bad spread to start with. Yeah. <laughs> no. No question. That, and that's a lot. That's a, that's a lot of pressure right there. Uh, um, Bearcat fans, I'm going to need uh, I'm going to need at least one fan to come up. And I'd like to have one fan ask Keith Greger a question. And I need it to be a tough question. My guy right here with the beard, come on up. I need it to be a really tough, hard-hitting question. You're going to come over? You want, why don't you come over this way? Oh, it's going to be a statement? Okay, so we have a statement. No, you gotta, no you, gotta, you gotta come around here. Hold on, you gotta, you gotta say your name. We gotta, we gotta do it all. Dave? know this about Keith. His dad was a first round draft pick. His dad was a fourth round draft pick. First round draft pick. For what team? Phoenix Suns. So if you live there, why did you come back here? Wow. <laughs> Phoenix Suns. First round pick. Yeah. Wow. D- name's Dave, right? Dave. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Appreciate that. Keith, do we want to talk about this? It's true. So it, it's very interesting. So he was the eighth pick overall in the first round. Your dad was the eighth pick Eighth overall. pick overall. I'd be retired right now if that was the case today. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even yeah, need to work. Bonus. If my dad did that, <laughs> yeah. 
So that was with the Phoenix Suns. And the interesting thing was the Phoenix Suns were an expansion team that year. Okay. So when you talk about records, my dad was the first draft pick of the Phoenix Suns ever. Wow. Right. That's, that's great history. So when you go to Phoenix wow. and you look at guys that, you know, when they put up their Hall of Fame and all that, and you see a Charles Barkley and a Majerus and all that stuff, and then there's my dad's picture because he was the first one ever drafted. That's amazing. Do you have a picture of your dad and the sons? I do not have one a oh, picture on, on me. That's, that's, no, <laughs> Nobody I mean, carries I mean, no, a no, wallet. I mean framed in like your man cave. We do have, yes. I have my dad's playing day picture in the man cave, absolutely. But who else was he drafted by? Oh, wait a minute. There's more? So at the time, oh geez. teams in the NFL were starting to dip into the college ranks. Okay. And so... My dad had a uh, very, I mean, I'm, I'm very much built like my dad. So at that time, if you're 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and good build. 250 pounds, you look like a very attractive tight end. So, yes, the Dallas Cowboys invited him to How come out that? and be part of the Cowboys. So, interesting. I love the Bengals, but the Cowboys are my NFC team. They always have been because that's how I was raised was to appreciate and love the Cowboys. See, I, I did, thank you, Dave, by the way, because I didn't, I didn't know all that stuff. Thank you for that. Uh, that's good stuff. So your man cave, I, I've seen pictures of your man cave. Hey, sure. Is that my man cave or? Or is it, is it a, is it a, is it a Believe it or not, man it, was, cave, it was her idea. You, you designed it, and you laid everything out? Okay. I just enjoy your, it. You just enjoy it. <laughs> what, what, so in your man cave, what Bearcat memorabilia do you have? Because I will say this. Have you been to Hugs' house in West Virginia? I have, yeah. So you've been down there, and he, it the looks basement. like. I survived the basement. Yeah. Oh, you survived the basement? <laughs> we can't tell those stories. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. It's uh, <laughs> Amy Mills. <laughs> Tell us about your man cave. What's what's Bearcat memorabilia do you have in there? Well, I would say the prized possession would be all the rings. So I've got you know four championship rings because we always won yep. championships. Yep. Uh, and then I also have a state championship ring. Oh yeah. But then I've got the frame jersey that was uh, given to me at 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 my uh, graduation or whatever. But my wife, what do you call that? Uh, it's a memory box or something. Okay. She took uh, my Letterman jacket along with, I think it was uh, a net from the conference championship that I swindled out and a bunch of ticket stubs to all the NCAA games that my parents went to and all that and created a collage storybook, something or other that hangs on the, uh, on the wall as well. So I got lots of memorabilia from that. That's 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 pretty cool. So, Keith, you talked about Rocky a little earlier, and someone on Twitter sent me this message. Thomas MM two 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 one on Twitter wants me to ask you how many times have you watched Rocky one through Creed two? Holy moly! So, November 23rd of next year, Creed 3 comes out. So, that'll be a big moment, and then I'll be able to start watching oh, those so again. Are you so, really, there's another one coming out. You're into the Creed. You're uh, into the Creed ones. It's a transition. That one will not have Stallone in it, though. Oh. It's rumored he, he will not, not be in that, that one, so that'll be tough. 
But obviously, growing up, what I did, number one and two were a little older. So they're a little harder to watch. I didn't get into those as much, but I watch those a lot because they're always on TV. It's one of those, one of those things like, uh, you know, internship or something. You just can't turn it away. The hangover. You, right, you, you find right. it, you just you get stuck on that channel. Um, Rocky four, Rocky three. That was like every game night. Every game. Before, right before every, every game. game. There was either a Rocky Fest or a Rambo Fest or something to get you hyped. Your favorite villain from a Rocky movie and depending on your answers, I might have a story for you. <laughs> well, I can't count Creed as a villain. Huh? You can't count Creed as a villain. No. Well, yeah, no, no, no. And if you're talking true villains, you know, maybe. Yeah, Apollo Creed really wasn't a villain, right? No, he gave him the opportunity. So I would say probably Thunderlips. Go with Thunderlips. Thunderlips. <laughs> I do not have a story. Uh, well, so what do you got? The Big Russian. Dolph? So, so Ivan Drago. Drago. Yes. So I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm walking with a buddy. We're walking up a hill to go to a Mexican restaurant, and a guy walks by us putting on his leather coat, and he goes, how you doing? And I look over. I said, good. How are you? And we keep walking, and all of a sudden I go, Drago? <laughs> I tur- and he turns around, and he goes, hey. And I'm like, Whoa. Walk right by us. Nice, nice as could be. And, and we were on a hill, so I didn't want to, like, run down the hill and, like, go take a I almost did, and go take a picture. But I, I, I did. I, I regret that. I wish I would have gotten a He was not as big as I thought he was. Not as tall, no. He's not as tall. Yeah. Obviously, Sylvester Stallone being so small and then camera angles, yep. you can make people look a, a, a lot bigger than, than what they are. Uh, so, uh, real quick, I want to get, uh, get prediction, Keith. Prediction on tonight's game, Bearcat basketball, starting tonight versus Evansville. What's your prediction? I think we're going to find out how the Bearcats will perform down the stretch. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think we'll get them by a couple possessions. I'm going to go Bearcats by five. Bearcats by five. I'm going to – I wrote that down. I I wrote (laughs) – going to hit up your bookie. I'm going to go Bearcats by 15. I think the crowd, I think we're going to have a great crowd, and I think that crowd is going to ignite the guys in the second half, and we're going to start to just completely take over and win by 15. That's that's my prediction. I like that. Good prediction? I, I'm hoping for your prediction I, as well. I, I hope my prediction's right. Uh, quickly, before we, uh, before we finish up, if everybody could give a round of applause to the staff here at Mio's. Thank everybody, Rich and Kelly. Give a uh, round of applause to my guest, like I said, the Lakota legend and the Bearcat great. We'll give a round of applause to Keith Greger. Thank you. Go Bearcats. And again, we want to thank everybody for listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats.